When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply heard a little bit about the film beforehand um not not a lot and then uh but enough to know i wanted to check it out and i think it was the day and maybe the saturday after it, it dropped uh my wife and i were you know, going to netflix and i had to i had to type it into their search engine <laughs> that's that's oh, very true a, <laughs> even for high profile material it's but i think it's, it's more about me i'm sure there's plenty of people who had it you know, it was the first thing they saw. It's just like yeah, they gave us a tutorial, certainly of how how they release things, how they build it, and they look at it not necessarily. Obviously, they want big immediate numbers, but they also look at it honestly as a full year, as right. people just discovered on their platform and word of mouth, and they continually promote it and. Um, so in that respect, it's it's kind of cool, but yeah, yeah I mean, I'm yeah. so used to the traditional means of commercials and you know advertisements and all that, and it's you know it's just different. But it's, yeah, such, it's, an, nice. it's such an audience picture, and it's obviously designed to be seen on a big screen and with you know, know. big sound, and it's it's a it's a it's a visceral experience. The way people went back when we used to go to the movies, uh, one of the reasons we used to go was movies like this. Yeah, you know, that 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 just were bigger than life, and I just think it's such a shame that uh, I mean, it's great that Netflix gave you the money, as I thought when they gave Marcus Corsese his money, and when they finished Orson Welles' movie, I, I was very happy for all that stuff. But their aversion to theatrical uh, release is um, disappointing because that's really where we all learned to love the movies was by going to the movies. Yeah, they, the old guard was supposed to have both, and that was. Really, yeah, really that wasn't Netflix's fault. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to when my last, the last thing I did for the film, uh, you know, week before its release was sit in a theater to listen to the Dolby Atmos. And so, you know, I, you know, got to experience in the way that, you know, I, all of us want our, our films to, you know, be seen and heard. Um, but then there's the fact that this dropped in 190 countries, you know, in kind of. Surreal. Perhaps uh, <laughs> that kind of brief. This is the movies that made me with your hosts Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Just a delight, and I mean, I, I, we, we don't, we're violating all of our, all of our rules here by even talking to you about your own work. But, but we'll, we'll get away from that in a minute. But, I mean, I could just, I could do a deep dive just from the, from the writing standpoint of how many potholes you, you managed to avoid, um, in, in that kind of film. And uh, it also just for any of our listeners who haven't seen it yet, it does have, if not the greatest, one of the two or three greatest screen kisses in film history. Um, it's just. Wow. Uh, a delight and um, uh, one of the greatest twists on what is normally a almost almost tired cliche of how to dispense with a villain just just 
turned up to 11 and made brilliant again. It's, <laughs> it's a lovely, lovely film. Lo it's not lovely. It's explosive. It's violent. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's charming. Um, but uh, Gina, anyway, we're, we're here, I should say, we, uh, we're here with Gina Prince-Bythewood, um, the uh, uh, writer and director of Love and a Basketball and uh, Secret Life of the Bees. And she's got a new uh, little indie film that you might not have heard of uh, out right now on Netflix. Um, we don't even need to say that. That's ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, the old guard. I mean, easily, you're, you're, like, you're like the big action movie this summer. It's you. It's a... Yeah, I mean, it was not anticipated, certainly, to be the only. There were some yeah. pretty big movies uh, that were supposed to come out. And honestly, this was an exciting year for a lot of us, given that six of the big blockbusters that were coming out were directed by women. And uh, that has never happened in the history of Hollywood. And uh, it felt like a watershed year. So I, I have such incredible empathy for you know, my fellow filmmakers where, you know, you put so much into a film. Old Guard was two years of my life. I know Patty Jenkins, a couple of years, and you want an audience to see it. And now to have so much uncertainty is really tough. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. We didn't do this on purpose, um, but we tend to do double features at least on weekends. And um, uh, it turned out, <laughs> I got to recommend this. This is an amazing double feature. And if you want to give it a theme, it's a great films made by women this year. Oh, we watched First Cow and then The Old Guard. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't get two more different films than that. Um, but uh, it, it, it worked somehow. It was an amazing, uh, it was an amazing combination. But enough about your work. <laughs> it's not why we're here. But Gina, thank you for coming in. Um, uh, we are, we're dying to hear. I, I usually don't. Um, I never tell Joe what the movies are going to be, and, and I only occasionally tell him what the, uh, the sort of theme is. But I, I didn't tell him what you wanted to talk about because I thought we might scare him off. Um, <laughs> if, if you would... Uh, industrial like films. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Czechoslovakian industrial films from the 60s. Uh, she's a huge fan of them. No, but if you'd like to tell Joe what it is that um, your kind of unifying theme here is today. Yeah, you know, it's so fascinating to to you know get the you know the the note from you guys like what what do you want to talk about what films influenced you what what is the you know thematic that runs through movies that you love and I mean it was pretty quick for me because it is it's a type of movies I love and um, so the theme is movies that that wreck me and uh, <laughs> um, you know I just. I'd love, I'd love to be wrecked in a film um, in the best way and then left at the end hopeful. And, and that's what I hope that I do with my work in terms of moving people, um, but always leaving with, with something positive at the end. And, um, and so, yeah, I just went through my mental Rolodex of movies that, that really did that for me. And I feel honestly have influenced my work I'm in some ways and in, in always wanting to to have that kind of power over an audience to to like completely control one's emotions. I think that as artists, that's such an amazing gift that that we've been given. And and then the key is to use, you know, your power wisely and, and for good. So uh that's that's my theme today. It's fantastic. And not to again dwell too much on your work, but it but it is um it, it is interesting, the emotional 
quality of uh, the old guard is really interesting and not not the norm for that kind of film i would say there's um there's a real sadness and a real pain and a real kind of um, grappling with uh, death and loss and all kinds of things that uh, we're, we're not used to in um, such films. So uh, you can kind of see it there. But what's, um, you want to just grab one and start or? I want to get, I should start with, you know, probably the most famous, but I'm going to start with the one where it all started for me. Um, and uh, it's a movie called Benji, which I saw, uh, when I was five years old. Um. His theme song is I Feel Love. It's won a Golden Globe and an Academy Award nomination. Critics across the country are saying he should win an Academy Award himself for his outstanding acting performance in his first full-length motion picture. And audiences everywhere are calling him America's new most huggable hero. I feel love. My parents, you know, we had four kids and at one time seven kids because we had foster kids. And um, that's, a, that's a lot of kids, especially my parents didn't have a lot of money. So what do you do um, with that many kids on the weekend? And in the little town we grew up in, Pacific Grove, California, they had a theater that played um, um, just children's movies on the weekend. And it was like super cheap. So they would just drop us off in a group at the theater. and. The fact that I remember Benji, even to this day, it, it was the first movie I saw where I cried in the theater. And I, even at that young age, I was mesmerized by the fact that these people up there weren't real, but it felt so real to me. And, um, and in addition to me sobbing in the theater, uh, it also, it's about, you know, these two kids that get kidnapped and the stray dog on the block, you know, saving them. Um, and I remember for most of my, you know, young adult life, I was petrified of being kidnapped. And, uh, you know, it all was tied to, you know, the power of this, this film that I saw at such a young age. Um, and I know it went on to have, you know, many sequels. I don't remember seeing any of those, but um, I, I do remember Benji. I don't know if any of you guys ever saw that film. But oh, yeah. Was no, Benji was quite, he was quite the star, quite the, the doggy yeah. star at the time. And, and very talented, actually. Uh, was it Joe, all the same dog? Well, this guy named Joe Camp was the... Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And uh, he had, I, th I think there probably must have been more than one Benji, but, but the, the one that uh, he used to parade around with the talk shows and stuff was a pretty obedient, clever dog. And cute. Wow. <laughs> okay, so I'm down crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember I was, uh, that, was, that was a huge hit when I was a kid. And it was, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, that was, it, it, felt it was a little bit later in the game for those kind of movies i feel like i feel like there were a whole bunch of kind of things like that in the late 60s or so but we didn't we didn't have a lot of that i think the on. series petered out when they put chevy chase in one of them they did yeah i seem to remember he did a benji movie he did a benji movie yeah. i know there's one he, where he became back as a dog but well, maybe that's the one i'm thinking of <laughs> yes <laughs> that's probably I, I when we was... uh, <laughs> jumped the shark a little bit and... have, uh, yeah but uh, wow that's that's a great beginning did you go back frequently to the to the kitty matinee? Oh yeah, it was every every weekend. But it's strange. That's the only movie that I remember. Um, oh, you know, no, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I, I do remember we <laughs> we did see that. That did not make my list of uh, top ten, but um, 
I, I do remember that one fondly as well. People say they were traumatized by the child catcher. Yeah, we were just talking about this last week. The child catcher is still my, you know, you have a go-to image in your head when a certain idea comes up. Whenever I think evil, my first thought is the child catcher because <laughs> he scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I mean, now my, as I said, this fear of being kidnapped for so much of my life, it's got, it's like all these children's movies. Oh, yeah. I guess yeah. when you break them down, they are pretty horrifying. Yeah, yeah, there's always somebody trying to take the kids away from their parents. And, I mean, Bambi. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, what's What's next? That is uh, kind of an obvious one, but E.T. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery, the friendship, I'm keeping you. The secret. The love. E.T. was, I think I was 12 or 13, and that that was transformative, that film. Um, and uh, yeah, once again, maybe my family's just hardcore, but I remember being the only one, you know, that was crying in that theater. Really? Um, Everyone it cried was, at E.T., come on. I mean, yeah, the, the scene, he's in the hospital, and E.T. is dying, and, you know, it's just, it was just so beautifully done, the, the entire movie, and the fact that, um, you know, what I love about a film like that is that you're dealing with an alien, and, of course, you know, that's a fantastical premise, but all of it felt real. All of it felt so believable, and. Um, you know, I and you know Spielberg. Obviously, he has a incredible gift of empathy, and um, it was just so permeated. And I think any kid can find yourself in one of those children and what they were struggling with. And I didn't at that point get the deeper themes, you know, uh, that were going on. I just felt this, you know, the connective between these two and this, you know, young kid, you know, struggling to find himself. And and you know, it was. Uh, it was a pretty uh, amazing film that I've come back to so often. And I still tear up, even though I know where it's going to go. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty powerful movie. And, and it sort of takes that thing you were talking about earlier to the next level where you, you knew these weren't real people having these problems. These were actors. And everything. But now it's like, it's not even a person. It's a kid talking to a <laughs> puppet and, and you still feel that. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. The magic of that. The way you, yeah, I, I, yes, I think we all still get kind of misty eyed thinking about thinking about ET and Elliot, <laughs> <laughs> even though we know how it's done now. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, yeah, I can still suspend disbelief, even though I watched at this point all the behind the scenes and and all the stories of the film. Um, yeah, that's it's that's a power. That is a power to to be able to do that. To despite knowing everything, still be able to watch it as as reality. Yeah. 
here's a question. Can you, can you, does it work for your own films or have you simply? <laughs> I have, I've cried in dailies. Oh, really? Oh, great. Um, but once I've cut it and all that, I yeah. don't, but that's, um, that's a pretty amazing moment, but that's the power of the actor, you know, that yeah, the actor yeah. can, can evoke that. And I think daily, because in daily forms, that's, you know, that's it's fresh. Yeah, exactly. And the most raw and real. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I've also like the, the only definition of success I've ever come by that, that made any sense to me really was the one where somehow you've managed to forget everything you've done in your life. And there's a shelf of all the stuff you've made. And and you take it down, you watch it, or you read it, or whatever, and and you're blown away by it. <laughs> you don't remember it at all, but you're blown away by it. That that would be uh, that would be an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, so after ET, what did you? Uh... ET was the color purple. The color purple. An American story for the whole world. It's about life. It's about love. It's about us. You will always remember, Mr. Shug. Old Mr. Nettie. Harple. Squeak. Sophia. Sealy, you will never forget the color purple. Um, I don't, I was trying to remember if I had read the book prior because I was, you know, me coming into becoming a storyteller was was 100% influenced by the fact that, um, I think, uh, I think it was nine when our t television broke and my parents decided to the horror of me and my siblings that they weren't going to replace it. And uh, and so I just became a reader and, and you know literally read a book a day and all of all of those hundreds and hundreds of books that I read and and started picturing um, the stories in my head I know absolutely brought me to to this place and, and so I feel like I had read Color Purple um, even though I think I was fifteen when it came out um, and it's a pretty deep book. Um, you know, that one's interesting because there was so much controversy about it. And I know part of the controversy, you know, had to do with this, you know, amazing book written by Alice Walker. Um, yet everyone involved, you know, there were no black folks involved in, in the production of it, you know, mm -hmm. in the creation of it. And, um, but, you know, it was, it's a powerful film. And I think it's been more appreciated, even though it, it had nominations and such at that time. I think as time has passed, it's gotten more appreciation just for the, the film itself. And, you know, I just know that, and when the two sisters are running towards each other and, and reconnected, uh, I was just gone, <laughs> I was uh, lost. But it's that thing, that beautiful feeling of just being so emotionally wrecked yet so uplifted at the same time. And, and, uh, and yeah, that, that film absolutely, um, you know, exemplifies that thing that I love about film. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, I should look it up. Did, didn't uh, Alice Walker didn't do a draft of the script or am I wrong? No, uh, it was a Dutch writer actually. Okay. Um, who I think also did one of the, um, 
Indiana Jones film. Oh, okay. It's such an interesting, you know, how how that came it's sort of diversity. <laughs> but clearly, he um, <laughs> diversity. <laughs> but clearly, you know, he he trusted his work because he had done, I think, two. He had written two things for Spielberg prior to mm. the Color Purple. Um, but you know, uh, incredible actors involved in that. Such a quotable film. And, you know, the fact that that was Oprah's first film and Whoopi Goldberg's first film. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good movie. Oh, that's right. Was it, it was Whoopi's? It was, right? It was her first, um, she'd been a performance artist. Or a, a, yeah. Those one woman shows. I remember that, yeah. And I believe she got nominated, right? For I think so. She, her first Oscar was Ghost. Right. But I think she was nominated for that. Oh. Yeah, she was amazing. She was amazing. Uh, cool. So I guess we're going we're going chronologically. You know, I just realized I'm I'm going chronologically. That's great. But, no, it's a... Um. So this next film uh, is a classic, and I'm try I think I saw it in film school because I saw it on a big screen, and that's Ordinary People. In this typical town. In this comfortable home, three ordinary people are about to live an extraordinary story. It's starting all over again. The lying, the covering up, the disappearing for hours. I will not stand for it. I can't stand it. I really can't. That psychiatrist are you? They all believe in dreams. I do believe in dreams. Only sometimes I want to know what's happening when you're awake. I don't want to see any doctors or counselors. This is my family. Problems and we'll solve those problems in the privacy of our own home. I knew something was wrong even before he tried to kill himself. I think it is a very private matter. You never came to the hospital. Now, how do you Conrad, know about the your hospital? Your did come to the hospital, Conrad, and you know that. I just don't know how to deal with it anymore. Why are you asking me? Huh? Why are you trying to make me mad? Why are you mad? No! He provokes people. I would never have let him put electricity in my head. <laughs> You blame me for the whole thing. Can't you see anything except in terms of how it affects you? I miss it sometimes. A hospital. That was a hospital. This is the real world. You know, to this day, uh, I, I, I do. It's it's one of the great films. Um, the fact that that was Robert Redford's debut film as a director is is pretty phenomenal. Um, well, he'd been watching some, you know. Pretty good director's, good director's work. work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had yeah. A, he had an edge. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Definitely helps. Yeah, and that you know, just based on an incredible book. Um, but uh, I mean, I cried throughout that whole thing, and and um, just the themes of it, and and the story itself of this, you know, this boy with PTSD, you know, because his older brother died. This his hero died and his mother couldn't forgive him for that that line of you know that she can't forgive me because i'm not the one that died like you know it was uh yeah i still get chills thinking about that film so many incredible moments but it was such a you know such an actor's showcase yet it didn't it never felt like that it was just a master class in with every single character um and it, it, you know that has to be obviously it was great actors involved, but but clearly Robert Redford is is 
incredible with actors um, because the performances he got were so real and raw and beautiful and heartbreaking and bold. You know, Mary Tyler Moore, like you hated her yeah. <laughs> in that film, you know, but she went there. Um, did you did you come to the movie with Mary Tyler Moore baggage? Was she when you were like, did you grow up on the TV shows? I grew up, my mom, like we as a family watched the Mary Tyler Moore show as a family together prior to, you know, the TV going. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just had her in my mind as, as somebody else. And so to, yeah. to come to her, she was so brittle. She, you know, was, it was. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, talk about shattering. I mean, it completely shatters her sort of image that she had for decades from both of those great shows. And, and yeah. yeah, didn't Joe, were you saying a while back, like it, it, it kind of hurt her career for a bit or? Oh, really? Well, she'd been doing a lot of light cop like comedy stuff and and uh and this was like well uh, we certainly don't want it's it's like the nurse ratchet character in a way i mean it's it's like it's uh, it's something that's so the audience dislikes her so much that they they can bring that dislike to the next assignment mm. you know like, oh that's that awful woman <laughs> you know but i think she was pretty well healed by then yeah i think she was doing all right i just feel like normally that happens with like louise fletcher was not hugely familiar to audiences. Oh, right. Which it is, and so you sort of get it. But I mean, the fact that Mary Tyler Moore was, you know, America's sweetheart for decades and that film kind of changed well, the way people- canny piece of casting though. Yeah, it's amazing casting. God, she was good. She was good. And also Jed Hirsch, I remember oh. him from Taxi. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that does, I mean, I, I think that happens more now today, but back, and but yeah. maybe you guys could tell me it didn't feel like there was a lot of actors in television doing film. It felt like it, there was a pretty big separation. Whereas now people move, you know, pretty seamlessly throughout. But um, yeah. well, definitely they didn't. If you if we went from movies to TV, that was that was bad. Like TV to movie, <laughs> that was man, the big your, career, yeah, your career your career's over. If you had to... No, but I mean, all, you know, all the Steve McQueens and James Garners and all those people all started. You know, uh, they had they, they became TV stars. I mean, they they had made movies, but it was TV that made them famous. And then really? Once once they yeah, and then once they uh, once they started doing feature films and became movie stars, they, it, it's you don't go back to TV after that until unless, as with James Garner, you you um, you hit a rocky career point and then you do the Rockford Files and it puts you back on top again. So. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, it's really, it's, it's much better now. I mean, you can just kind of do anything. Um, well, there's no difference. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no stigma. There's no stigma. But also the act of watching it is now the same. You know, the yeah. screens are bigger. The sound is better. You know, you don't have to shoot it all in close-ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> definite, definite improvement. Things are getting better, even though they're getting worse. So after after Ordinary People, what was... Ordinary People... Um... A movie called Central Station. Oh, yeah. In Central Station, there are a million stories. Stories of hopes and sorrows, joys and dreams. But today, an act of destiny will bring two strangers together in Central Station. I remember it, was, it came at a time in my life um, where I had lost faith in movies. It was, I had seen a couple big 
action blockbusters back to back. I actually remember the names, but I won't ever disparage another filmmaker. Um, but, and these were, you know, big movies and, and big popular movies. And I remember sitting in both and I just didn't care. And that really scared me because this is, you know, what I wanted to do. And yet I'm not feeling anything of these films that are being made. And, uh, and then I went and it was two movies that I saw very close to each other. It was, you know, Life is Beautiful and Central Station. And both those films were Central Station in particular. I mean, I was literally sobbing in the theater. And mm -hmm. uh, it's such a beautiful story. And it's so well told and so real and raw. And it, it absolutely, I was like, oh, okay, I remember why I love um, what we do and why I want to make stories because you can do something like this. And um, that, that got me up off the floor and, and back into the, the chair to write. Um, you know, it was, that, it was that, you know, defining for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic film. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Um, and there was something about that period. It's, it's, I feel like, yeah, I was kind of going through a lot of that in the late 80s and the 90s where you're sort of despairing for film. It, it, you know, there was a sort of general sense of kind of, Everything was getting slick and heartless. Yes. And, but you look back now, and there's this just amazing movies coming out at that point. But, but I think just the, the abundance of the other stuff mm -hmm. was kind of more pervasive then as time goes on, all the rest of that stuff drops away and, and we're left with the good ones. But <laughs> yeah, that felt like a grim time. And now you look back and you have to sort of explain to somebody who wasn't there that, uh, no, no, it's much worse than that. It was much worse than that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. That was a very powerful film. I remember. Um, and life is beautiful. Is I'm I'm still on the fence about that one. I remember sort of watching it and having kind of a, you know, very strong emotional response to it when I saw it. But just as soon as the lights went up, I just felt used. Which <laughs> I, I I don't know. Now uh, you probably wouldn't have liked the day the clown cried either. Uh, <laughs> Someday, though, I hope to see it. I hope to see it. Um, an interesting but, thing, though, what you said, because there is a there is a fine line in uh, between, you know, something like Central Station, which you know wrecked me in in the best way. I've yeah. never felt manipulated. It just the story. It was a story in the characters and and their emotion that I just connected to so much, as opposed to a film that you know, puts in those moments or, or uses music in a way to, you know, trick my mind into right. you know, evoking tears and um, giving you a Pavlovian emotional <laughs> response. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't revisited life is beautiful um, since I've only seen it once that, that one time during that period. So I'd be curious how I, I felt about it, but I, you know, I do know I was very surprised at the film because I it started out as one thing yeah. and then suddenly switched up on us, um, which I thought was, you know, really bold and, and um, you know, remember being very enamored with it. And I think part of the story also was the filmmaker. Obviously, everyone remembers him, you know, sure. the Oscars. And Didn't he step on Spielberg on the way up? <laughs> he climbed <laughs> over the there. audience and stepped on his head. <laughs> Were you a Life is Beautiful guy, Joe? Or was it? Uh, I thought it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's 
it's a little um it's a little hard to buy that the premise for me is a little hard mm. to buy and i'm not sure that seeing jerry lewis do it would make me any happier but um it's i you know it's not it's no to be or not to be it's not a you know it's not a, a, a an impassioned you know satirical outcry against the, the evils of humanity it's um it's a it's, yeah, it's a, very focused on it's a com it's a comedian showcase mm. Mm. But but interesting film. Interesting. Doesn't he have? I think he's got a he's got Pinocchio coming out this year. Roberto Benigni. I feel like Pinocchio has been being made for years. Yeah, that yeah I, 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 I thought that was already done. I think it's done. I think it's coming out finally here at least this year. I don't know. Plus, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. We don't know anything on this show. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Um. Cool. What's what's now? Are we, are we going into the 21st century now? <laughs> I know it's time to get more modern. Um, like crazy. Anna? Jacob, hi. Let's go. Where do you want to go? Tell me everything that happened. Tell me everything you saw. They had lights inside their eyes. They had lights inside their eyes. Did you see the closing? What are we going to do Think about it. They were kids that I once knew. They were kids that I once knew. Jacob, you're gonna stay. You can't do that. Why? Visa. <laughs> Doremus was a uh, writer-director, and I remember reading about it before I saw it, which I actually don't normally do. Um, Joe, as you said, like it's so much better to go into movie fresh, but I was so fascinated by the stories of how they improvised so much of that film. Um, and it, it feels it, but not, uh, I say feel it in, in retrospect, you look at it and because everything feels of in the moment and again, completely real. And it's a kind of movie I don't remember particularly crying in it, but the that yearning for these two to get it together and figure it out and find each other um, just permeated the whole thing and kept me, you know, in this knot the whole time. And um, I just thought it was such a beautiful love story. It ended in a way I normally don't like movies and I don't like being, you know, left on the hook. Um, and some may say I did that with the old guard, but I feel like I told the complete story and then, you know, gave you a little. Yeah. Yeah. Hints. Um, but like crazy, <laughs> you know, like crazy does leave it open of are they going to or are they not? Um, but for some reason, I mean, I was angered by that only because I wanted them together so badly. Right. Um, but it, it was really, again, I love when people can figure out love stories and tell them in a different way. And given that, you know, love story, of course, you there's only two ways it's going to end. They're either going to be together or not. So how do you make the journey interesting and different? You know, I think about Slumdog Millionaire. I think that's a, a brilliant love story. The, the way that it mm. was, you know, structured and, and told and you 
think it's one thing, but it's actually this beautiful, epic, you know, story. And with Like Crazy, there's a simplicity to it. Um, but, and I believed every moment of it. And uh, I've seen it a couple times and was really one of my templates um, for Beyond the Lights and just that, that, that vibe of it. Um, so, yeah. Nate, so, I apologize. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know the film. It was the one that, and it, it um, like 2010, 2011. Uh, it's Anton Yelchin, right? Yeah. And um, Felicity Jones. Felicity that was Jones. her first, I think that's the film that, you know, blew her up and then she's in Star Wars. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's a romantic comedy, romantic drama? Romantic drama, definitely. You haven't seen it? I have not, no. It's, oh, it's... One, uh, have you seen it, Joe? Good movie. I have because uh, yeah, it's on, it's on the long list of, of uh, movies that Anton Yelchin made that, that are, are almost completely unfamiliar <laughs> to people. Um, you know, he had, he, he worked so constantly and he made so, and he was so ravenous about making independent movies. Uh, that he would just make one after another, and I remember at his uh, at his ceremony or his wake uh, that you know just a uh, there's a barrage of clips, and I was just amazed how many of the movies I had never heard of. You know, mm. there he just he was just one, he made one movie after another. It was really amazing. He was a wonderful guy. I must say. Yeah, he was talented. Yeah, but I love it. Obviously, loved what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, that was a hell of a loss. Um, but cool. No, I've, I've never seen it. I will, I will definitely, uh, I saw it on your list. I looked it up. I'm like, checking this one out. And actually, the, the composer for that was Dustin O'Halloran. Um, I loved his work in it so much. And I tried to get him for Beyond the Lights, um, but his schedule didn't work. And then I ended up using Dustin and Volker for The Old Guard. And you know, you would, when you see, you know, like crazy, you would wonder how, how do you, how do you do that to the old guard? But I knew score-wise with the old guard what I wanted to do and wanted it to feel different than, um, you know, I would say a typical score for an action film, knowing that I wanted to deal with the tragedy of immortality as much as um, the action itself. And, and uh, his music just evokes um, great emotion, but in a, you know, I feel a, a natural way and not a manipulative way. And so then like crazy was the first time that I heard his work and knew at that moment I got to work with this guy. Well, that's wonderful. They, so you got to bring him from, from that kind of film into this and, and uh, um, yeah, that, that, it definitely fits the sensibility of the movie. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, cool. What's uh what do you got for next. us next? Yeah. Next is uh, 12 Years a Slave. I want to ask you what part of the country you come from. I originate from Canada. I guess where that is. Oh, I know where Canada is. I've been there myself. Well, travel for a slave. Solomon Northup is an expert player on the violin. I was born a free man. Lived with my family in New York. Be good for your mother. Until the day I was deceived. To Solomon. Kidnapped sold into slavery. It's a, a truly, a truly brilliant film. I've only seen it once. Yeah, it I, doesn't feel like a movie you go back to a lot. I, I, I can't. It was so, it literally stayed with me for, for um, months. And uh, Lupita's performance and her story 
was so visceral. You know, that, that film, I, I felt like it was really the definitive film of, of that time. And I felt, you know, Roots was transformative and, and you know, a really big deal. Um, this film at this time, it was, it was like the first time I, I could kind of connect with the absolute despair and lack of protection and agency that, um, you know, my people had at the time. And, and it was so realized through both Chiwetel's character and performance. Chiwetel is amazing. And, and I got the chance, obviously, with the old guard to work with him and to one thing to watch him. It's another thing to be a couple feet from him and see what he does. I mean, he's, he's brilliant, but his performance was so amazing. And Lupita, um, I just so connected with her character. And I, I just like, I, I remember the lights going up in the theater and I couldn't move. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to do anything, but just, just sit there and it took me a long time to get to get up and um just a transformative film and it it taught me a lot as well about um just the use of camera in telling a story I mean I learned so much about that from Goodfellas Goodfellas mm -hmm. I, I'm going <laughs> to say the Goodfellas but I saw Goodfellas when I was in film school and that to me is a perfect movie um and taught me a lot about the use of camera to tell story and tell character but um 12 years a slave in the way that he stayed on moments and stayed on moments to the point that you were uncomfortable and oh, i'm sure hanging. Oh, the, the, the hanging is, yes. is, is is devastating and and yeah. the fact that he stayed on it as long as he <sighs> did is a, a testament to his distributor <laughs> Charlie <laughs> said, "Okay, it's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to make this any shorter." Uh, but the the restlessness that it evoked, and mm -hmm. the fact that you see the rest of the world going on as usual yeah. behind him, with this guy hanging in the foreground, uh, is it's it's really one of the more memorable images of the past, you know, twenty years of movies. Without pointing to it, without cutting away to it, without drawing your attention, it, it, it's so much more effective by just letting it sit there and. Yeah, yeah, that is that is always the first thing that pops into mind when I think of that film. It's just yeah, uh, that scene. And I think about yeah. <laughs> the distributor being, you know, brave enough. I feel like I just know he had to have gotten notes. Hey, can you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cut <bit>. away? <clears throat> yeah, off to him for saying no. But the fact that it is one of the most memorable scenes of of you know of cinema. Um, is a testament to to that, but it it forces you as an audience to to stay there, and uh, you know it, it's really smart filmmaking. And um, yeah, it was uh, that movie. I want to see it again. I do because I, the filmmaking was so next level. Yeah. It's just it's so it's. Well, you just have to decide whether you want to go there emotionally again. Yeah. Yeah. Can I? I don't think I could separate myself and just watch the filmmaking, but um, but maybe that's okay because you know everything that I felt is part of, of you know what we do. So I think having talked about it and thinking about it for this, I I am gonna I'm gonna watch it again. Really? Yeah. 
I, you're on your own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty brutal. But I, I love, um, yeah, I, I love seeing Chiwetel show up in your film too, because it's um, casting in your movie is, is a notch above as well. I mean, he's incredible talent and uh, Matthias. And, but and, Matthias, and, oh my God, he's, he's a brilliant actor. He's, he's unbelievable, yeah. Uh, and, um, the thing we just watched uh, Dirty Pretty Things a little while back. My wife had not seen it, and and just um, you know, I knew she'd like it. I didn't. She has not stopped <laughs> talking about it. He, I remember thinking, I mean, guys, he's, he's got a great career. He's doing. I just, I somehow thought like something. There's something about him that was just like this guy is a massive movie star. In in the wasn't way. that his first movie? I, I think it was the first, it was certainly the first thing I'd seen him in or yeah, kind of, I think he'd done some sort of British TV stuff maybe that was, mm-hmm. but um, he's such a powerhouse and it's like, um, you know, I, I, uh, it, I was like, why, why isn't he, why aren't they talking about him to be the first black James Bond? You know, it's, it's, what is this? And there's something, I, is he just one of those actors? He seems as one of those actors who's, um, seems very generous, seems to be very dedicated to the scene more than himself. And that, Yes, that's that's a great way to to put it. It is, um, and he's he's incredibly smart as well in terms of character. You know, the the two villains in Old Guard on on the graphic novel page, and Greg Rucka, the writer, will say themselves that they were not really realized, and and so in adapting it to the screen with Chiwetel's character, you know, we wanted to give him more depth and a little more complexity. Um, but then Chiwetel came in and then took it to a whole nother level. And, and he's a filmmaker himself. And um, so he, more than anybody, I gave leeway to, you know, mm-hmm. to really come to me with, with more thoughts of, of his character and even dialogue and um, everything that he, he wanted to do was so right on. And, uh, you know, he, he's a great, dude, a really great dude. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Um, and uh, I, I can't say anything more about him in your film without, you know, but. Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We, we don't spoil recent films. Uh, but go, if you haven't seen it yet, see it. Um, what's, what's next? How can you be more shattering? I know. So, well, this, <laughs> I said it's movies that wreck me. Um, the the uh, movie Amy, the documentary about Amy Winehouse. Um, yeah. Oh, it's a bit upsetting at the end, isn't it? She was highly intelligent, the most intelligent person I knew. She was so utterly authentic. Amy, just give us a smile and then we can turn the camera off. Do you promise? <laughs> she had such an emotional relationship to music. You're becoming an artist in the public eye. The more people see of me, the more they'll realise that all I'm good for is making music. And the Grammy goes to Amy Winehouse. She was one of the truest artists I ever heard. The world wanted a piece of her. Amy was a girl that just wanted to be loved. I fell in love with someone who I would have died for. 
And that's like a real drug, isn't it? Have you guys seen it? Oh, yeah. I mean, another movie that just stayed with me. And it was just so devastating because no one in her life just stepped up and did the right thing and um, in some ways protected her from herself and just know that she was so hugely talented and she wanted to pull back from the craziness, but nobody, you know, she couldn't do it on her own. And well, there was that, that sense you got, I mean, the thing I was, I was kind of moved by her, um, her friends, the guy, the kid who grows up with her becomes her manager and then her best friend. And they clearly get to a point where the, the only thing they can do is to step away from her and let her know why and let her know that they're there and you can just feel their kind of anguish and no other options and then that just whole machine around her yeah. that that just there's no space in there for for help and um yeah I, there's something and, and it's a story you've heard and that we've you know seen in films and docs and read about forever but there's something about the way that movie gets it across that's so powerful um, I mean, just the fact that they have incredible footage of her from most of her life. And you can see that talent when she's, you know, 14. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, it's funny because I remember the, the, the sort of the good moments best from that. And it's always Tony Bennett. I love like the look on her face when Tony Bennett yeah. reads out her name at the Grammys. And then that fantastic footage of her singing with him. And she's so, even at that stage in her life, because it's like, isn't it like right near the end? Yeah. Still just. I mean, she's in awe of the fact that she's getting to sing with this guy who made her what she is, and that he's so good to her. But that, yeah, that that is a shattering. Yeah, definitely good good choice of words there. Wow, and so well made. Yeah. Um, I mean, documentaries. You know, it's not an easy. You know, it's not an easy thing. It's not just having amazing footage. What is the story you're going to yeah. tell within that? And you know, where are you going to force the audience to look and feel? And um, it was just so well made. And uh, and the music, you know, that <laughs> just such incredible music yeah. through it. Um, and you just, in watching that, as you said, the machine, you really, because, yeah, we've seen a hundred biopics. But it's something else to, to really be watching the real thing and, and see... Yeah train wreck and you know where it's going to end and you just want to reach to the screen and, and stop it but you know the music industry and it absolutely when it finds something that will make them money it's like you know just milk it till it's till it's dry and then then move on and uh unlike our business which is yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> just, just full of beautiful people treating each other well <laughs> But yeah, I, it's it's an astonishing. It won like the Oscar that year, didn't it? I mean, it, I think it. Did. I hope so. Um, no yeah. films like that don't necessarily get nominated. Yeah, but it just it 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 is something though because they've got all that. It just the way they build her character from from the footage is is amazing because it really does have the kind of feel of an almost of a dramatic feature instead of the doc, in a good way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I love it. And and like 12 Years a Slave, not a movie I would probably ever sit through again. Yeah. <laughs> got, got the music, though. Got the music. Um, so next is Moonlight. What's your, 
What you looking at me like that for? What, man? Come on, you just drove down here? Yeah. Who is you, Sharon? A long time, try not to remember. Beautiful film. Yes. And another one where I didn't know what to expect. I went to an early screening, actually, uh, that Barry put on. And, uh, you know, it's always a thing when the filmmaker's there. Like, and it was a small group of us, and uh, you just pray that you like the movie, so you oh, know. God, yeah. Hey, congratulations! Um, <laughs> Only you could make this film. <laughs> You've done it again. You've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> I have to use that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Moonlight was so God. It was so good, and it, it it's interesting because I really. At the end of it, it was another one of those things where I was just quiet. Um, the, the depth of humanity that I felt for these characters that rarely get um, to be seen like that in not only in life but in in film and television it was it was staggering to me, literally staggering and and the film got it kept getting better on the as as I was separated from it, you know, in the days that mm -hmm. continued, it just kept growing bigger in my mind of of its effect on me. And um, I remember, you know, at the end of the screening, trying to talk to Barry, and I was having trouble talking. And and he he just said, "I love that you, I love your reaction because as a filmmaker, as I've said, I love move people, and it just." I, I was just so stunned and, uh, you know, the ending, it, it is such a beautiful, hopeful ending and uh, just such, such beautiful filmmaking. I was so happy for it. What a, what a ride for all of them and the strangest Oscars ever. Uh, uh, yeah. None of that. <laughs> um, say they're sort of, they're sort of films that, you know, you're working on where you, I don't know, where it's like, it, it I guess it's on the table that it could go to these places. And I just, I feel like that is not a movie that when people were setting out to make it, they were, they were, that was yeah. even on their mind in the slightest. It's like the, the odds of it making that journey were so slim and, and it was so gratifying when it did. Um, yeah. And then that bizarre, <laughs> truly, truly strange evening. <laughs> yeah. But so, so deserved. Yeah. Deserved. Yeah. And the, you know, I love that the actors have all, you know, continue to work because, yeah, I mean, they all, I mean, I think he had like a million something to make that film. Just no money, yeah. but people came for the, for the love of it and wanting to be part of it. I mean, Mahershala, it absolutely wants Mahersh, Mahershala and he's an incredible actor and, you know, um, but you, I feel like you felt that the, you know, just that need for all of them to tell this story and, and yeah. to be a part of it. And, um, you know, the kids, the kid, getting performances like that from young people is yeah. tough. And, yeah. uh, it, it reminds me in some ways, it's a, I think it would sort of in a cluster together with, with Disney Project, which had this, or not, um, the Florida Project. 
that was a good one. Um, which had the same kind of, you, you couldn't believe what you were seeing come out of children. Mm-hmm. Of these, these incredible performances. But yeah, I, I always wonder if that's a, is that just directors getting lucky or is there actually a way to direct a seven-year-old so that, <laughs> you know. I mean, they, you know, they say, what, 70% of directing is casting and yeah. finding. But yeah, when you see that, because yeah, directing kids is just different. You can't sit and talk about the intent of the scene or your objective right. or your obstacle. It's, you know, you kind of go to that base thing, but, um, you know, though I remember, you know, working with Dakota with Secret Life of Bees, she was 12 and turned 13 at the end of the shoot. I mean, her talent was surreal, what she could do at that age and had never done any training whatsoever. That was all, you know, a gift. And I usually, it usually bothers me when actors talk about how I've never taken a class because I think, you know, acting is a craft in the same way that what we do is a craft. And as a director, I, you know, the favorite people I've worked with have training and it's something great that you can fall back on if you, you know, if you're stuck and you love what they bring. But Dakota is the one person I've worked with who hadn't that it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, right. she, she was really that good. I mean, Man on Fire is one of my favorite movies and mm-hmm. what she did in that at age six, you know, how do you, how do you, and that kind of thing, you kind of just let them, you know, do their thing. But I do wonder, yeah, with Moonlight, because he dealt with so many different kids and not just little kids, but then teenagers who are still, you know, can you say you have craft at, at, 15, 16, uh, you know, not sure, but he got, yeah, just got great performances. Yeah. 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 Um, are there, what's, what's, what's next on our shattering journey? Here? The last, the last, which will probably feel unexpected, but, uh, Bridesmaids. Oh, uh, devastating movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm engaged. Oh my God. He asked me last night. What? what is happening? So will you be my maid of honor? Of course I will. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. No, just whatever. Throw the bachelorette party. Yeah. In the shower and... Oh my God. <laughs> Let's go meet the rest of the bridal party. Come on. Get to punch it a couple times. You remember my cousin Rita? They just bought a new house. It is gorgeous. I wouldn't know. I only see the kitchen and the laundry room and the ceiling in my bedroom. Sometimes the floor. Just, just, and just destroyed. Know, I had to walk out. I was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe I listened because I cried in two different ways in that film. And the fact that it could make me cry because I was laughing so hard. Yet also I cried um, with the, the, the breakup of the friendship. Mm. Um, it was, it was just, again, that the a film had the power to do both those things and do it really well. And I remember I, I saw it in the theater and I was with my editor, actually Terry Shropshire, who's cut, cut everything I've done. And, you know, to, it just, I mean, literally leaned over laughing uncontrollably. It's fun. Like, it's fun to feel that. Um, but then also just that quiet cry of, you know, when they're trying to figure out their friendship. And I also remember the two of us having the same feeling, which is, 
we realized how starved we were for email content on the screen like that. And, you know, it was written by um, two women and, and, you know, it's just, you, you felt it. I felt I was missing and I didn't know I was starved for it, you know, because we're tossed, you know, crumbs uh, every once in a while. But I feel like every time a movie like that was a hit, and and not to compare them quality, but you know the Sex of the City movie. You know, there's this this whole thing where hey, maybe women like movies, and and then sort of nothing ever really happens with it. Every time, and it seems it's, it's kind an anomaly of that obvious. It made that much yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, it's like do you know any like, women? Right? <laughs> I think Wonder Woman is probably the first one where it was like, oh, okay, maybe women do actually like to watch action and. Hey, maybe men will actually go see a, yeah. a action film with a female at the head of it. Like that, that felt like it changed the game. Same way with Black Panther, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of that. Oh, black people like to go to the movies and, and <laughs> people actually watch black people in the movie that Hollywood has to be reminded of uh, every couple of years. Yes. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, but that movie, I, I just thought it was so smart and yeah. so funny. And yeah. again, when you when you have a comedy, when you any genre, you have action. What separates and elevates it is is you know that that's that real story um, underneath everything. And uh, because again, if it's just set pieces of comedic right. set pieces, you know. Okay, fine, but then you you walk out and you don't remember it. Where bridesmaids had, as you, I love the word you used, melancholy. There's a melancholy through it uh, when you get to a certain age and and you're growing, you're outgrowing your friends, you know. And can you maintain that friendship, or or really is it did it run its course? And that can be as powerful as a love story. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just thought it was done really really well. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a lovely film. I love Spy, too. Spy was very funny. Was Melissa very McCarthy funny. is a genius. Like, I've, I've seen yeah. Bridesmaids a couple times, and actually I just showed my 16-year-old Bridesmaids for the first time. Of course, I had hyped it up so much that he was, he was like, Mom. And he thought, he, was, he thought it was pretty good, but he was not blown away like I was. But even watching it again, Melissa McCarthy... Like she is a genius, and the fact that she happened to get that part, you know, and it was kind of luck that she got that part, and now she is who she is, where she can yeah. greenlight films herself. But to to see her work, you understand the genius of of a great comedian and Kristen Wiig, just the way they deliver a line or, or what they put into a line or the physicality. It is a true gift. Doing comedy is is really a gift and it, and it's hard to do well and when you see a movie like that um it excites you and you, you want to see more of that yeah and it's never a surprise when someone like her turns out to just be a great actress in a you know dramatic role as well it's like of course she is it's you know yeah you look at robin skill. williams i mean yeah. Yeah. there's something always behind the the smile and and to be able to yeah, bring that out and bring that out in a, in a comedic actor is is exciting yeah, very much so. Well, well, thank you for letting us out with something. <laughs> something <laughs> less, less, less grim. Yeah, less grim and <laughs> devastating. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, that was, that was a lovely, a lovely journey you took us on. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Gina. Uh,
uh, yeah, it's been really fun talking to you and, and, um, uh, and some, some terrific films. It's, uh, it's funny that that's kind of a recurring thing in the movies you love. Um, it's, uh, cause some of those, I don't know, you were talking earlier about sort of hope at the end, but I think of like Amy or 12 years a slave. I mean, they, they don't offer a lot in the end that, um, you know, makes you feel good about the future. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that those are the two that I haven't watched again. Yeah. Where the others I do return to. And I think there's an appreciation, uh, of, of where they, they took me and appreciation of the work, but, um, yeah, the fact that I need, you know, to function in life, I need to feel hope and especially yeah. God help us in this time that we're in right now. Um, so the ones I certainly return to do give you that uplift at the end. Well, I also tend to think that no matter how, it's like I never quite buy, uh, you know, people who create nihil, not that either of those films are, but create sort of nihilistic art because just the act of creating something is hopeful. And mm-hmm. if you're getting up in the morning and creating... And it's a lot of trouble to go to to create yeah. nihilism, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you're doing that... To get up, you have to do your job and then, yeah. and then leave people feeling lousy. <laughs> you know what's interesting, and I don't. I, I wonder how you guys feel about this. You know, um, the movie Seven. Mm-hmm. The movie Seven affected me. It. The movie Seven is what made me give me the certainty of what kind of films I wanted to make, and to take folks on a journey but leave them hopeful at the end. Because Seven, the filmmaking is brilliant. Yeah. The acting is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I was so angry at the end of it. I was like, I gave you two hours of my life and you left me with a head in the box. You know, spoiler alert. Uh, I, I, it just, it, it angered me so much and it really did propel me to, I, that is not what I want to do. And that's, I don't see this disparaging, you know, Fincher because he's a brilliant no. filmmaker and it's a brilliant film, but I, I my God, I, it's like, just not what you want to do. In the worst no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I hate it. It's a weird thing to say about a movie like that. I love the film. And it's like, I go back to it. And it's an amazing thing to sort of immerse yourself in. And somehow there's, you know, uh, I've always said, like, if you, if you have a mediocre movie, but it ends brilliantly, you're fine. And if you have a brilliant film and it ends badly, that can, that can screw you. But this one somehow, yeah, the ending of that, and Morgan Freeman, what's his line at the end where he said, it's like, you know, I agree with Hemingway. This is a good world worth fighting for or something. And he's like, well, I agree with half of that. And I'm going, what has happened in the last two hours that's brought you to that conclusion? Because there's literally nothing in this movie that indicates this is a good world or that it's worth fighting for. And, and that always makes me nuts. But somehow I'm happy to go on that journey because the film itself is just so... I, I don't know. It's, it's um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And yet I love the movie. <laughs> no, I, th- I think the ending of the movie is a lie I think is, is kind of the problem mm. but but I'm willing to go on that journey the dream anymore. sequence yeah because <laughs> it's just um, it's yeah. self bad. But, and it's incredible to look at too it's such an achievement uh, I, pr- I prefer Fight Club yeah and the game I, I love the game and the game worked because of Seven that's the amazing thing how so? because yeah. he taught us that this is the type of filmmaker, he will oh. leave you with that. So in the yes. game, you just assume that oh, that's that the ending. That was, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Yes, uh, that's true. It's kind of fun. 
Um, but that's but that could be a problem too. That was the I remember walking into once upon a time in Hollywood and about ten minutes in going, oh, I know where this is going, mm-hmm. and it was only because he's already done that. You know, it's like he's already made a movie where they kill Hitler, so anything can happen. It's, <clears throat> but um, still loved it. Still loved it. Uh, well, Gina, thank you. Thank so you so much. much. For, yeah, thanks for taking the time. And um, uh, we, uh, and again, if you haven't seen The Old Guard, it's so much fun. Check it out. It's terrific. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.